The topic of this hour's study is a new way of sharing. And I would like you to notice with me that whenever a human heart finds Jesus Christ and the fellowship that his love affords, the obsession, the longing, the craving of that heart is to share Christ's love with others. Oh, to win another heart, another soul, is the longing of the human spirit. And so, if you'll follow me carefully, and we'll see how that we may share Jesus in a way that to many, many is a complete new, different approach. How did Jesus, the greatest soul winner the world has ever known, how did he share? And if we can learn how he shared, then we can learn how we also may share successfully. I'd like to share it with you in three parts. First, Jesus lived the life. In order to live the life, he arose a great while before it was day, went out into a solitary place, and there prayed. Mark 1.35. His prayer life was the foundation of his life, the foundation of his sharing program, the foundation of his healing ministry, the foundation of his forgiveness. The life of God was reactivated day by day in the life of his dear son. I'm thinking of a beautiful statement found in one of the books of my favorite author. The book is entitled The Desire of Ages. Page 362 has this beautiful statement. Only that work which is done by much prayer and sanctified by the merits of Christ will in the end prove to be a prove to have been efficient for good. In other words, the life is the light of men. And the life comes by communing with our Creator and our Redeemer. Jesus communed with his Father, and he set us the example. For us to engage in any kind of a soul-winning program without having the life of our Lord in our lives is to spin our wheels, is to go through the rigmarole, the machinery, without the power of Jesus Christ. Do I know it? When I was a boy, 16 years of age, two of my brothers and I went away to boarding school. As Father was taking us, uh, taking us up to the little old derider New York depot in that horse-drawn carriage, he was deep in thought. He weighed his words and spoke very prayerfully. He said, boys, you're now leaving home. Hundreds of miles from home without parental guidance, you need in a very outstanding way to take time with your Lord. He said, I would recommend that you take one hour with the Lord in meditation and in prayer and in the study of his word. And I have no fear for any problem that you will face. As my brothers and I boarded the train, we looked out at the autumn foliage that was changing. And it seemed that as I looked, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. He was saying, why don't you do it? I said, Lord, I'm going to give you an hour a day. 
in prayer, in meditation, in the study of your word in one form or another. Little did I realize how impossible that would be without the Lord's help. For I had to be up and working at the barn at 4.30 in the morning. The Lord impressed me to arise at 3.30 in the morning and make arrangements with the dean of the boys' dormitory for the boys' washroom for my private devotion. Do you know how a 16-year-old boy likes to get up at 3.30 in the morning? But you know, my friends, it was the life of my soul. I took 40 minutes reading God's Word or some Bible-oriented book. During that time, as I look back on it now, I realize the Lord was reviving me for a new day. And then after that, I took an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and I made a list of the weaknesses in my life that needed strengthening. I made a list of the things for which I was grateful, and I made a list of souls for whom I was burdened. One of these individuals was my brother Lloyd Kuhn. It was my privilege after I, after I became an ordained minister to baptize my brother Lloyd, his wife, and their son. I observed that many of the young men who were with me in school, who did not have a father to explain to them the need of this new energizing program each day, had many problems that they couldn't solve, for they had no power to solve. They had no energy from the Lord to solve. My friends, as I entered the ministry, I said to myself, I'm going to take more time now with the Lord. I thought I could, but you know the minister's... Uh, Activities, my friends, are legion. I would find myself so busy on the right hand and on the left that I, that I could scarcely take time with my Lord. Unintentionally, I, find my, I found myself neglecting the hour with the Lord and half backsliding. Then I'd go back and I'd say, I, I would say, I must take this time with the Lord. And I did, and again, I was a flame of fire for the Lord. Now, going back to school, when in school I took this time with the Lord, the Lord's Holy Spirit impressed me with a second feature in the ministry of Christ. He didn't impress me from the angle that Christ had taught it, but it was a natural. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that you'll ask, it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. So Jesus outlined prayer partnerships expanding into prayer groups. This is the second phase of this sharing program. No, I, I didn't understand it scientifically as a young man, but I found myself looking for another young man who was in trouble, inviting him to go out with me in a barn or some shed or out under the starry heavens, and we'd talk with the Lord. And when we were through, this young man would say to me, Glenn, oh, you're such a blessing to me. You know, this, my friends, is one of the outstanding features of sharing Jesus Christ. Getting one other person to meet with us, perhaps once a week for an hour, and engaging in prayer together. And then, from this prayer partnership, going out to bless another heart. This is why my wife and I have done this little book entitled The Science of Prayer. We've done a 10-lesson set in this book showing how men may use the ABCs of prayer which Jesus has taught us. 
And then at the end of each one of these chapters, we have presented the secrets of communicating his life to some needy heart. And this brings us to the third point in the ministry of Christ. How did Jesus, going from his prayer life, how did Jesus minister to the needs of humanity? How do we share Jesus Christ? Number one, his own personal devotional life. Number two, if two of you shall agree on earth. This prayer partnership increasing to a prayer group. Again and again, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Only the four of them were alone there talking to the Lord. And under this second feature of the, of the Lord's ministry, I want to just spend another moment. My favorite author has written in one of the beautiful books, which I have read from the pen of this author, that the Lord had revealed himself in a special way, and this author had, had discovered that the basis of all Christian missionary endeavor is a small prayer group. And I noticed that this, my favorite author, who has taught me more about Jesus Christ than all other human authors combined, stated again and again, two or three should meet together. That's what Jesus said 1975 years ago or so. He said, if two of you agree and you meet together, I will be there and you'll get answers. Now going into this third point, this is something that I did not understand, but it is a, it is a scientific fact of Christ's ministry. How did Christ go out to help the human soul in need? How will two individuals who have met once a week in a prayer partnership, how will they go out and share the life of Jesus? This is what Jesus did. And follow me carefully and prayerfully, if you will, and it can change our, our ministry for Jesus, our soul-winning endeavor. Notice with me briefly four of the acts of the ministry of our Lord and we'll see how Jesus met the sinner. The first is at the marriage feast in the Cana of Galilee. Jesus was there. How did he meet these people? With a Bible study? No. With a sermon? No. Did he tell them about their need of eternal life? No. Did he tell them how to get along in a happy home? No. What did he do? He met them at their conscious need. What was their conscious need? More grape juice. And so Jesus performed the first miracle of his ministry by giving them what they consciously needed. The second miracle, as recorded in, uh, in the Gospel of John, the second healing, is found in John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. Jesus came back to Cana of Galilee a few months later, and there was a man over in Capernaum whose boy was in a coma. He walked over to Cana, invited Jesus to heal his son. Now Jesus knew that this man's greatest need was eternal life. But the man's conscious need was the healing of his boy. So Jesus met him at his own conscious need. What was the result? The result was when the man returned home the next day and found that his son had been healed at one o'clock the day previous, he fell down on his knees and his family with him gave their hearts to the Lord. That is the way to win souls. Meet them at their conscious need until they cry out 
to God for his great salvation. The, uh, the third miracle of Jesus as recorded in John, the third healing, is found in John chapter 5. Jesus was at the pool of Bethesda. There was a man who had been a cripple for 38 years. Now, his greatest need was eternal life, but his conscious need was healing. Jesus didn't say, now I'm going to give you seven days of Bible study on health reform. Jesus bent over that man, and he healed him right on the spot. Not until later, when he saw him in the temple, did Jesus present to him some instruction which his soul needed. Jesus in his ministry met man at man's conscious need. Let me cite one more example of the life of Christ. In John chapter 9, we find Jesus on his way to church. He meets a blind man. The blind man's greatest need was eternal life. His conscious need was healing. So Jesus healed him. What does that have to do with this new kind of sharing? It means that we as Christians, after we take our time daily in personal devotion, after we meet in a prayer partnership and reach out for another soul, it means that we will meet that soul who is in trouble at that soul's own conscious need. Uh, let me explain. Two men are meeting once a week for an hour. We'll say they're taking this book as their study guide so that they can get answers to prayer in their own lives. Then in the same book at the close of each chapter, they're learning how to meet some friend of theirs at his own conscious need. Let us say that uh, Jim White and I are meeting in a prayer group. It's really just a prayer partnership to start with. We meet once a week. We read together and discuss together the first chapter in the science of prayer. We don't hurry. We don't feel that we must get through a, a complete lesson in one week. We may take two or three weeks. His word, God's word, is found, and we did eat it, as did Jeremiah. So we don't rush in our study. We drink it in. We assimilate it. And then, as we are bringing our first hour together to a close, we say, let us exchange our prayer lists. So Jim tells me of two or three great burdens he has on his heart for dear friends of his. I share with him the names of two or three of my dear friends. We say, let's pray for them. And as we pray for them, the Holy Spirit impresses us, why don't you go and visit one of these individuals? We arise from our knees and we say, let's go over and see Frank. And then we say to one another, but how do you meet Frank? How are you going to be accepted by him? How will he desire your visit? Oh, we say, here's what we do. We will visit him as Jesus visited people. He visited them and met them at their own conscious need. In that beautiful book, The Minister of Healing, 
pages 22 to 25, my favorite author has stated that Christ met man at man's most familiar association. So we will meet Frank at his most familiar association. That may be rocks. He may be a rock hound. We don't go and see our friend rock, uh, our friend Frank, who's having a, a rocky time, and start talking to Frank about the church. We don't say, look, we haven't seen you in church for weeks. We say nothing of the kind. We come to Frank and we talk to Frank about rocks. Frank, we understand you're a rock hound. We don't know very much about rocks. And we wondered if you would kind of brief us in a little bit. Now, someone may, may object and say, well, Brother Kuhn, uh, since we don't know anything about rocks, why should we ask him about rocks? Ah, the answer is clear. Too many people going to help somebody who is in need are too free to do all the talking. Instead of our doing all the talking to a man who's having a rough time, we need to let him know that we respect him, that we honor him. Instead of preaching at him, belittling him, and trying to bring conviction, we are asking him questions. Here may be a backslider. Frank may have wandered far from the Lord, but here two, two fellow Christians who are regular in attendance at church are coming to him and asking him about rocks. And while we're asking him about rocks, and he is sharing his knowledge about rocks excitedly, he is examining our faces. He says to himself, how come that these two faithful Christians are not belittling me? They're not preaching at me. Uh, he said, I can't understand it. And, he, and he's explaining to us some more about rocks, and all the while he's talking to us about rocks. He's looking at us, and he's saying to himself, I can't understand. I thought that the church members were looking down their noses at me. These men are not looking down their noses at me, and I know they're conscientious Christians. How come? The Holy Spirit then impresses him that there's a love found in Jesus Christ that accepts one another just as we are. We're not saying to him, Frank, if you shake up and, 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 and if you'll shape up, the Lord will love you. Oh, no, the Lord loves us as we are. He comes to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. He may tell us about the rocks, and we're, and we're listening. We're asking questions. That is a new stance for Christians. They think they've got to do most of the talking. No, we're doing most of the listening. And he is getting a new picture of professed Christians as humble, as loving, as full of acceptance. We may visit him several times. We may go for a field trip looking for rocks. We may visit him, visit him perhaps five or six weeks, or it may happen the first week. Maybe within the hour, he'll turn to us and he'll say, uh, Brother Kuhn, may I ask you a question? Why, surely, Frank. He said, something has been puzzling me for, for the whole hour, or maybe for the five weeks. How come that you men came to see me? I know that you are very conscientious members of the church, and you know that I'm a backslider. How come that you came to see me? And then we may say something like this. Well, Frank, 
we have been conscientious in a sense, but we have recognized our own need. Maybe we've been too sanctimonious. And we felt that we ought to get together and ask the Lord to make us kinder Christians, to fill us with more with the love of the Lord, and give us more victories in our lives. And so we've been meeting an hour once a week together, and we've been studying a book that covers the science of prayer. And we have found a new fellowship in the Lord. Not that we didn't love him before, but we have found a new fellowship and we found a new way to find deliverance over little habits in our lives. And it's filled us with so much joy that we thought, oh, if we could only share this love with others. Evidently, many other people are just as sincere as we are. And as our hearts were filled with this love, we thought of you. And we thought, by the way, Frank, maybe you have some friend that you'd like to have us pray for. And Frank, Frank is surprised. He thought we would say, don't you want us to pray for you? He hasn't asked us to pray for him. And when we say we wondered if you might have some friend that you'd like to have us pray for, he said, yes, there's Jack. You know, Jack is sick. I would appreciate it if you men would pray for him. We'd say, Jack, we'll do it. We'll remember him every week that we meet together. We surely will. And then, as though it were almost an afterthought, we might turn, one of us turn to, uh, to Frank and say, by the way, Frank, maybe you would like to meet with us and pray for some of the people for whom we are burdened. And we will pray for Jack, and you will pray for some of our friends. And Jack may say, okay. Oh, when do you meet? We say, we meet next Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock, rather early. He said, well, if it were 10, I'd meet with you. Okay, we'll meet at 10 su Sunday morning when we don't have to go to work. Would that be all right? Surely 10 o'clock would be fine Sunday morning. Or he may not accept our invitation at first. We may visit him, to, visit him two or three times. And he might say, I remember a few weeks ago you mentioned that you had a prayer partnership. Is that what you called it? And you invited me, but yes, I'd be glad to come and meet with you. Now, now we have three. And we're still studying one of these lessons a week or part of the lesson. And as Frank begins to realize the beautiful science of asking, believing, and claiming what our Lord has promised, he said, you know, I wish we could get Jack into our prayer group. He's feeling better. He's gone back to work now since you were praying for him. I wish Jack would meet with us. I think Jack would like this kind of Christianity. How do you suppose we could get him? And we'd say, uh, Frank, why don't we meet him just like we met you. What is, uh, what is Jack interested in? Well, he said, you know, he loves flowers and he loves plants. He's almost a botanist. That's his hobby. Why don't one or two of us, maybe two of us, three might be too many. Why don't a couple of us go over and, and, uh, and visit Jack and ask him about flowers? Frank said, you know, that's exactly it. If you had come to me, any other way than you did, I'd have turned you off. Let's do it. So then Frank and one of us goes over and visits Jack, 
and in time Jack is invited. And now we have four. And then Jack says, oh, I wish that Charles were here. And we go through the same process, and Charles, beco Charles becomes a member of our group. In time, we have six. Then we split two and two and two and begin all over again, reaching out ever onward and outward. Now, secret prayer is the life of the soul. That's step one. The prayer partnership is the next step. Then the third step is reaching out to meet a friend of ours who is having a rough time at his own conscious need until he finds the same deliverance that we have found. This is a new way of sharing. And yet it is as old as the Bible. It was taught 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. But somehow, so many thousands of us have lost the secret. We think we've got to preach to people about doctrine or theory or belittle them or bring them conviction. That is not our business. Our business is to represent the love of Jesus Christ at the man's own conscious need until he comes with us and opens his heart to the Word of God that creates the new birth, energizes the soul, brings deliverance, and prepares us to meet Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.